early British settlers in Australia were flummoxed by the platypus. The arrival of the first specimens of the strange beast in England so astonished scientists that they thought it an elaborate hoax created by stitching a duck's beak onto the body of a mole. Hello, I'm Charles Woolley. And I'm Kim McKay, Director and CEO of the Australian Museum. We're the nation's first museum and we house the treasures of our nation and the region. We're going to discover some of those today in the newly restored Westpac Long Gallery. So join us in exploring the iconic, astounding and curious objects that have helped shape Australia and the world as we uncover the hidden stories of 200 treasures of the Australian Museum. Now we've moved on through these amazing antiquities and now I'm looking at a beautiful brown and bronze coloured shining animal skin rug. And it's made up, believe it or not, of the pelts of 75 platypus. Kim Mackay, that wouldn't be acceptable today, would it? Uh, no, <laughs> certainly not, Charles. I look at the platypus rug and it really does evoke that earlier era when the natural wildlife of Australia was not as prized as it is today. It was prized to have a rug, certainly, but uh, the value of a platypus, an endangered species, so important to understanding Australia's monotremes. But you know, damn it, Mackay, I, I think when I get up on a cold winter morning and the first thing my feet settle on beside the bed is my platypus skin rug. It oh. makes me feel very comforted. I know, and it's really interesting that the museum has this. Of course, objects like this ended up in museum collections because they were curiosities. And fortunately, the practice of killing the platypus for adornment was ceased in the early 1920s. I suspect uh, in colonial times, though, there were a lot more of these made than we realised. Exactly. Well, you know, a lot of Australia's native animals were quite furry and lovely. Possum skin rugs. Possum skin thing. rugs were used, of course, for warmth by our first Australians. But also, you know, the dear old koala was uh, also a victim of the pelt, wanting to use the pelt. But, you know, the, the thing about the uh, platypus was that internationally it became regarded as this controversial symbol of Australia. When, when your antecedents sent back the first one to the British Museum, they thought it was a hoax. That's right. They thought it was an elaborate hoax, in fact, that somebody had stuck a beak on a mole. What an extraordinary creature it is. I mean, I have to remind myself, it does have a duck bill, uh, it lays eggs, and yet it, nur it nurses its young. It's, a, it's an egg-laying mammal. With a pouch. With a pouch, yes, with a pouch. It's ridiculous. It is, but you know... No when, wonder they didn't believe it. You know, when you see a platypus in the wild, my heart skips. Mm. It is the most beautiful creature, and of course we see them so rarely now. I think you get to see them more in Tassie, I, don't I you? I see them all the time. When I'm out looking for trout in the Tasmanian high country, I'm very often fooled by a platypus. I'm sneaking up, so oh, there's a trout. And they go, oh, no, it's only a platypus. Only a platypus. Only. <laughs> how, I, how I wish we saw them that readily on the mainland now. But this rug is, I, I guess, a symbol of the way we used to treat our wildlife and today where our wildlife are protected. It's wonderful in your cabinet of curiosities, though, isn't it? It and is. And such a beautiful-looking fur. 
so sleek and shiny and with such wonderful hues of amber, bronze, and then the, the darker fur. You can imagine. I love it. I, I really love the, well, the platypus rug. <laughs> I do too. It looks beautiful. But, of course, you can see what a practical skin it was to repel the freezing yeah. waters of yeah. the rivers yeah. that it was swimming in. So it's a sad tale, definitely. And we think, in fact, that that rug may have been made by one of the museum's employees, Jane Toss. She was a, an early taxidermist. A lot of women were involved in taxidermy early on in the colony. And after working at the museum for some time, she actually even went and established her own shop on George Street or Pitt Street. And uh, her wares, odd wares, were sold so there. So there was at a the public time. appetite for this stuff. Oh, yes. Taxidermy was extremely popular in parlours across Sydney at the time. It showed that you had some appreciation for uh, the local fauna. Fortunately, now we can just take a picture. Fortunately, now we can take a picture and, of course, we can come to the museum and look at the lovely specimens we have here, including that koala, Charlie. Below, below the rug, below the platypus rug, is a little koala. He's a beautiful creature. He's quintessentially Australian, of course. What's his place here? Well, the Australian Museum today does its science in many different ways, but where the leaders in wildlife genetics at the Australian Museum. One of our scientists, Dr Rebecca Johnson, who leads the Australian Centre for Wildlife Genomics and also is director of our research institute here. Rebecca was part of a consortium that sequenced the DNA of the koala for the first time. This is helping to conserve the koala. Of course, this is a species incredibly under threat. Yes, he has many, many enemies, doesn't he? He does indeed. We know that... Disease, habitat, loss. Exactly. We know that before the 1920s, when the practice was stopped, koalas were hunted for their fur. You know, I'd like a nice pair of koala muffs, thank you, to wear. Uh, so koala fur was very popular at the beginning of the uh, 20th century, and fortunately that did cease. But they suffer from a, a horrible disease called chlamydia, which has really wiped out populations of koalas. They're one it species. It blinds them apart from anything else. That's right. Also, they're running out of the right kind of leaves to eat in many places. That's that's right. So habitat loss is a really um, big, ha having a big impact on koala populations. Then we've got other koala populations in different parts of southern Australia that are now thriving. The, so the, the, important, the important science you're doing here is, and it's nice that the museum is doing that because it, it, it will help ensure that the koala doesn't become, like the diprotodon, just a museum ex exhibit. That's right, that would be tragic. I mean, I remember growing up in Sydney and in various streets there were still koala populations. They're not there now, you have to go further into the bush to see them. But, you know, they, they're part of our identity. And that's why I think conserving Australia's flora and fauna is so important. Why are we different from everywhere else? It's because of our flora and fauna and our unique landscape. And I'm sixth generation Australian and that sort of got into my DNA, I think. The bird at the front of the cage is, I think, one of the most accurately named birds in the world because it is called the superb lyrebird. And isn't it just, superb? Just superb. I mean, those wonderful feathers which were very popular, of course, in the 1800s to wear in ladies' hats. You know, they're stunning feathers. 
And the lyrebird, though, of course, is best known for its ability to mimic just about any sound. One of our earlier ornithologists here at the museum, Sir Walter Bowles, I've just knighted him, I think, because I love him so much. Walter Bowles uh, discovered a fossil of a lyrebird, which dated it back to between 16 and 23 million years ago. And generally on Earth, do songbirds go back a long way? Not as long as the Australian songbirds. Australia is the home, the first place of the songbirds. So when the British always thought they had all those gorgeous nightingales mm. singing, it's here in Australia that we have the oldest songbirds. It's another first for the Australian Museum. <laughs> I guess so. Now, the, the lyrebird name is a misnomer, though, isn't it? It is indeed. It doesn't look like a lyre at all. No. It, it's not shaped in the uh, shape of the musical instrument, the lyre. Its, uh, it's uh, tail actually fans out. So what happened there? Well, it was misnamed because the discoverer originally thought it was like a peacock and put it in that class of birds, but it's not part of that class at all. But, you know, those tail feathers are completely extraordinary. As I said, you know, they were in great demand for the Melbourne Cup. Yeah, ladies' hats, yes. Yeah. yeah, indeed. But, of course, you could harvest the feathers without killing the bird, I suppose. Indeed. You could do it with a peacock, but you, I don't think anyone ever tamed a live bird, did they? I'm unaware of that, Charlie. From 18 million treasures in the Australian Museum, we've selected just 200 for you to consider. But even exploring this distillation is going to take us on a long and exciting adventure. I hope you will join Australian Museum Director Kim Mackay and myself as we continue our extraordinary odyssey through the collections of the Australian Museum. And of course, you can see it for yourself in the Westpac Long Gallery at the Australian Museum in Sydney. I'm Charles Woolley. And I'm Kim Mackay. We'll see you next time.